Uh, as you just saw, we are in a series called A Thrill of Hope. I love this song because the next line talks about how a weary world rejoices. And if I've ever known of a time where the world feels very weary, it's in the days that we live right now. And uh, why do we get to rejoice? We get to rejoice because a Savior has come. Uh, we get to have hope, uh, not just because hope is on the way, but hope is already here in the name of Jesus. Are you with me? And, uh, and so we have a lot to be hope-filled for. And so last week we launched a series, uh, this series called A Thrill of Hope. And in week one, we took a look at part of the reason we're able to have hope and walk in hope and be hope-filled people is because we experience the miraculous of God every single day. And you might say, well, pastor, I've personally never experienced a miracle. You might say that. You might say, I can't say I'm someone who's experienced a miracle. And I would push back to you and be like, well, actually you do every single day. If you missed the sermon, you need to go back and look at some of the data. Just a small part of what we talked about was how literally right here sitting in this moment, our planet Earth spins around at 1,000 miles per hour. You're going 1,000 miles per hour right now in a circle, and you think you can't go on the tilt of world. And so we're going 1,000 miles per hour while traveling at 67,000 miles per hour through space. When this day is over, when we've made one full rotation around the sun, you will have traveled 1.6 million miles. That's why you're tired and your back hurts at the end of the day because you did a lot. You did a lot. But God's hand was on that the whole way. God's miraculous. You should be hope-filled because if God can, can allow us to do that in perfect order every single day, how many think he can handle a couple things going on in your life? Your body, every time your heart beats, it, it pumps six quarts of blood through 60,000 miles worth of veins and arteries in your body. Do you know that it's 30,000 miles to get around the world? So when your heart beats, it goes two times around the world in perfect order, and you get to live and function and be, God's hand is on that all the way. Are you with me? So we should have hope. God is so much bigger and stronger and able than you could possibly think. So check out that sermon. It will get your hopes up. And that's what God's word should do. Amen. And then today, I want to jump into another sermon. This one is, is titled, Hope When It Doesn't Make Any Sense. When you're looking at all your equations and you're looking at all your scenarios, you're looking at your marriage, maybe you're looking at your family, maybe you're looking at this addiction that you can't get over, maybe you're faced with anxiety, you have all of these reasons to say that God can't come through for me, none of this makes sense, you're going to see that God does his best work when it makes no sense. You can be hope-filled today to know that when it makes the least amount of sense, God does his best work. As a matter of fact, that's what the message of Christmas is today. Is, hey, when none of this makes sense and none of this seems it's going as it should be, God does amazing things and does his best work. So again, I hope you get your hopes up today. Amen. Let's pray and we'll jump into it. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for today. Lord, I thank you for every person in the room and those listening online. God, we know it's not by accident that they're hearing these words of yours, not my words, but your words. God, I thank you again in this room and online that as we hear these words, God, we don't take them as thoughts or opinions, but God, we hear your truths. God, we ask that hope arises in every person, even when it doesn't make sense. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me start in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah would have foretold the Christmas story or the coming of Jesus um, about seven to 800 years before Jesus is born in a manger. And so this is the prophet Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, for to us, or one passage, if you read it in a different translation, might say, for unto us a child is born. 
To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Without question, this is the most important day in human history. Uh, Maybe you tie this or pair this with the cross and the resurrection, because without the birth, you don't have the cross, but the whole message of the gospel doesn't function without the cross and the resurrection either. But those two things combined, without question, are the most important, most powerful days in human history. The prophet Isaiah is telling us about this. But then what gets really interesting is when you begin to take a, take a deep look at what was taking place when all of this was happening and how none of it made great sense. Matter of fact, the Jewish mind, anytime they would read of a passage or, or hear of a prophecy, uh, they would look at these things and, and they wouldn't just say, oh, wow, that's kind of inspirational or like, oh, I learned something. They would look at it and they would break down every single piece. They would want to know who, how, when, where, and why did this happen this way? Because I think for American church people, we go to church and we're like, oh yeah, Christmas, like born of a virgin in a manger and it'll come all you faithful like in the Christmas. But the Jewish mind would have been like, wait, what? For unto us, wait, to us, a child is born? Wait a second. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God above it all has been given to us? Wait a second. We don't deserve that. That doesn't make sense that he's born. He's wonderful counselor, Emmanuel, all these things he is to us. This doesn't make any sense. And the reason they would think that is because they would say, we've already messed it all up in Genesis. God gave us paradise. He gave us this life with him. And because we messed it all up, we messed it all up. But then you're sending your perfect son born in a stable in a manger. And they would have been like, because they knew how to look at the deep meaning and context of all of that. And that's what I want to do today. I want to take a look at all the players in all of us so that we can understand that God does his best work when it makes no sense. God, how are you going to do this? This makes no sense. God's like, watch this. And that's what the Christmas story is. For unto us, a child is born. 2,000 years later, it still matters to you and me that unto us, a child was born. Can I get an amen today? The Christmas story is definitely one that makes no sense. Last week, I begin to share with you Luke chapter two, how the scripture says that there were shepherds out in a field at night. And the scripture says that angels showed up to them and the glory of the God and the glory of God shone around them. And they said to these shepherds, like glory in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward all men or good plans. So the, the telling of the message of the savior, the King of Kings, mighty God, everlasting one is making its debut. And heaven is like, hey, let's put that, let's do that like, like right in Times Square where everyone will see it. And they're like, no, let's find some shepherds like on a hill at night when no one's watching. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Are you with me today? Or how about 15-year-old virgin, Mary? That's a good choice, right? Here comes the king of kings, mighty God, the everlasting one, like heaven comes down, God incarnate. This is gonna be awesome. How should we debut this? I know what we should do. Let's get a 15-year-old virgin named Mary, because when she tells people that she's pregnant with the Savior of the world, that's going to make a lot of sense. Virgin girl, like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Well, what we could do is we could pair him, her up maybe with somebody who's like a king or a high official or somebody who's rich, and they're like, no, let's, let's choose a Jewish carpenter, because <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. doesn't make any sense. The message of Christmas here is already making tons of no sense, just like that statement. (laughs) 
They weren't wealthy. They weren't wealthy. They weren't famous. They didn't get TikTok popular. It wasn't like, oh, let's choose them because they got a great following and they went viral. They weren't highly educated. They weren't any kind of royal kind of people. They were people who loved God and were faith-filled. It didn't make any sense, but God chose them to bring about King of Kings, mighty God. It doesn't make sense. God does his best work when it doesn't make sense. Have you ever been picked to be like a captain and, and choose a team? It was your responsibility to put together a team. Maybe it was middle school and you're the captain and now you have to make the team and put together the team. Usually there's criteria involved with that. Uh, we see it happening in college football right now. Right now in college football, um, because Jim Harbaugh outed crying Ryan Day, the Ohio State Suckeyes coach, as being born on third base. Some of you are like, I don't know anything he just said. That doesn't matter. Just trust it that it's all fact. All of their players somehow have found themselves in what's called the transfer portal. They said, we don't really want to play for that guy anymore. And so they're in the portal, which means they're now eligible to go play for another college team. And many coaches will begin to evaluate these players that are now in the portal. And they're going to evaluate those players probably on two pieces of criteria. They're going to look at their past performance. They're going to look at tape and they're going to say, hey, here's what they've done in their past. Here's what we see, the decisions they made, their past abilities. This is their past performance. We're going to look at them based on past performance. Another condition that they will make a decision based on is the second criteria, which is like, hey, if we don't know anything about their past performance, if we don't know anything about their past condition or their history, what we'll do is we'll take a look at their present condition. Are they tall? Are they fast? Are they muscular? Are they all of these things? Essentially, these coaches, when choosing who they're going to use, they're going to look at outward performance and history performance. Aren't you glad when God chooses us, he doesn't look at our outward appearance and he doesn't look at our past performance or our present condition? Can I get an amen today? Because the truth is this, your history is not in charge of your destiny. Can I get an amen? I don't know where you came from. I don't know what you went through. I don't know. Maybe you've been hurt by church. I don't know. Maybe you've been let down by somebody. I'm just here to tell you your history does not determine your destiny. And the Christmas story is one of those things that tells us this. It's like, hey, it doesn't look good in numbers. 15-year-old virgin girl and Jewish carpenter guy, none of this makes any sense, but I'm grateful God doesn't look at those conditions when he chooses his people. Are you with me today? Your current condition is not in charge of your future destination. Oh, but this family is hopeless. What a mess. I mean, you know, that happens. It's the holiday season. We get to see them all again. <laughs> this family's a mess. What a hopeless situation. God doesn't look at current condition. He's got a purpose and a destiny. Are you with me today? So you're sitting here going like, this doesn't make sense, this current condition. But this marriage is so broken, and we've been trying, and we've been trying, and I've tried to quit this, and I've tried to stop that, and I've tried to do all this kind of stuff. Listen, your current condition is not in charge of your future destination. When God calls you to it, his grace will get you through it. Can I get an amen? Mary and Joseph, as I mentioned, make no sense. Just take a look at Mary, 15-year-old virgin. Scripture says that an angel named Gabriel comes to Mary and says, hey, um, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Now, while that's happening, also around the same time, the same angel comes to a guy named Zechariah, who's a priest, very old in his age, unable to have kids at this time. And the scripture says, Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says the same thing, like, hey, you're going to give birth, uh, your wife is going to give birth. <laughs> 
Your wife's going to give birth. Her name's Elizabeth. She's going to give birth to John, who becomes John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus, who is the forerunner of the gospel. He preaches, prepare the way of Jesus' ministry. Two interesting things happen. When the Gabriel angel comes to Mary and says, this miraculous thing is going to take place, she says, how shall this be? There's a faith and a belief in her heart as she responds back, how shall this be? That's a believing it's going to happen. How shall this be? When the angel comes to Zechariah and says, this miraculous thing is going to take place, he says, how can this be? For we're old in age. He has like a, a doubt in his heart. And scripture says that the moment that he says that, the scripture says that he becomes muted, cannot speak for nine months. The entire duration of this pregnancy of John the Baptist he can't speak. He's muted for nine months. When I first thought about that, I thought, you know, nine months of your wife's pregnancy to not be able to speak, that might actually work out good for you. <laughs> babe, babe, look at my feet. Look at my feet. Do they look huge and swollen right now? Do I have Shrek feet? And he'd be like, mm, mm. can't say anything stupid. <laughs> I got these new maternity pants. Do they make my... <laughs> so he couldn't say anything. He couldn't say anything for these nine months. And it was because his heart was, how can this be? We're too old. I, I doubt it. I, d I don't believe it. I thought about it like this. What heaven was also trying to get us to believe is when, when it doesn't make sense and we don't understand it, it's better to know this. If we cannot get our words in alignment with God, it's better to not speak. It's the same thing in our lives. If we can't get our words to line up with what God is saying, it's probably just better that we don't say anything at all. Are you with me today? Zechariah, when the angel Gabriel came to him, Zechariah wanted proof and you needed to validate it. He said, hey, I need proof. How can this be? I need validity here. Mary's process was, hey, how shall this be? Meaning I want to know the process so that I can walk in good stewardship. I want to be walking in good responsibility of what you've entrusted to me. The reason we know that about Mary is because she said, hey, uh, how shall this be? And, and then she says, uh, I'll do all of this. Let it be done on me. Let it be done to me according to your word. I know it will happen. How shall it be? Let it be done according to your word. I'm trusting God at his word, even when it makes no sense. Why? We can have hope because God does his best work, even when it doesn't make sense. Are you with me today? Joseph, this Jewish carpenter, again, we would think, boy, maybe they chose the dad uh, to be a, a rich guy. Maybe he's a king. Maybe he's president. Maybe he's some kind of thing. He's a Jewish carpenter. And we don't give this guy enough credit. Every Christmas, we ought to give Joseph in the story a lot more credit. Think about this. He's out working. He's a carpenter. Scripture says that they're engaged and they've never slept together because that's God's way before marriage. Are you with me? If you want to see the miraculous in your life, you do it God's way. And so to do it God's way means you're not going to step into things out of the design of God. Are you with me? So they've never slept together. It says that they were engaged, but they haven't slept together. Even that right there. Think about the temptation right now in your world, young people. It's like, wait, what? You're going to wait till you're married? That makes no sense. Are you kidding me? You can only be with one person your whole life. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. But God does his best work when it doesn't make sense. You trust him and believe him in his principles. Amen. So here's what's amazing about Joseph. 
The scripture says, obviously they're engaged. They haven't slept together. He's coming home from Home Depot one day and she goes, hey, Joseph, I got to tell you something. Yeah, what's up? I'm pregnant. <laughs> He's like, hmm? <laughs> I'm pregnant. Oh, how about that? Uh, must have missed a step. I don't know. Well, who's the father? She says, God is the father. <laughs> He's like, right, I know we pray, God the father. But what do you... <laughs> That God, God is the Father. How many know that makes no sense? Joseph is at this crossroad of wait a minute. This makes no sense. As a matter of fact, what we learn about Joseph is the scripture said that he was going to divorce her quietly. But customs and protocol and what was acceptable of the time is he actually had the right to stone her. So think of the mercy that Joseph walked in. Think of the merciful man that Joseph was, that Jesus came up under. This is pretty amazing when you think, none of this makes no sense. None of this makes anything. Actually, it makes perfect sense that Jesus was born into a family of a very merciful man. Why? Because the scripture says that Jesus would come as a person of grace and truth. It doesn't make sense to us at all, but all of a sudden now it makes like a ton of sense. And so he, he didn't obviously stone her and he didn't divorce her quietly. Luke chapter 2. Again, just the whole story of Luke chapter 2 makes no sense. We won't go through the whole thing. Maybe you can read it with your family uh, around Christmas. But Luke chapter 2, the whole thing makes no sense. Here comes the Savior of the world, Almighty God, all-powerful. We know he's the beginning. He's the end. He's going to make his triumphant entrance to the world, planet Earth. Where should we make sure this takes place? New York, New York. If you can make it anywhere, you can make it here, baby. Is that where we put him? No. He debuts in Bethlehem, which is modern-day Borkilo. <laughs> and I live in Borkilo. I'm B-Town, baby. I'm not dogging on Borkilo. But the scripture, think about this story. Savior of the world makes no sense, makes his debut, not in New York, in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, when he gets there for the grand debut of it all, he doesn't, they don't even have room for him. Like heaven hasn't even prepared a place for him. There's no room for him. The scripture says that the Savior of the world... King of kings, Lord of lords, all powerful, is born in a barn. I'm here to tell you the truth today. Nothing good ever happens in a barn. <laughs> nothing good ever happens in a barn. If somebody starts a story to you, like, yeah, the other day I was out there in the barn. The rest of that story is no good. <laughs> the rest of the story is no good. If you're considering buying an animal and you have to think to yourself, oh, if I buy this animal, I'm going to have to put it in a barn. That's a mistake. You're already making a mistake. <laughs> Nothing good comes of Barnes. You want me to prove it? Do you want to know how you've gotten mom anger to level 10? A mom might yell out this. What the heck is wrong with you kids? What were you raised in a... It's not a good place to be. <laughs> I'm telling the truth today. First service, everybody very offended. Didn't like any barn jokes. I said, I knew my Holland Hood people were coming to second. So this is going over better in second. But think about it. I'm playing, but think about that fact. Born in a barn. We're talking about a barn. King of the world shows up in a barn, a stable. It wasn't even elegant gowns and all of the different kinds. It makes no sense how King of Kings came to earth. But God does his best work when it makes no sense. Jesus came from Galilee. 
a town called, uh, Jesus from Galilee came from a town called Nazareth. You guys know this. And uh, it wraps around the Sea of Galilee. It's this little town that kind of wraps around the Sea of Galilee. But if we're going to talk about the Sea of Galilee, it really doesn't even come out to be as nice as it sounds there. The Sea of Galilee is really the equivalent of just a small lake. And so this place, Nazareth, if anyone were to talk about it, and you see it here in scripture, it is like a, a nobody nowhere place that Jesus came from. As a matter of fact, you can see Nathaniel and Philip in First John, they're talking about going to follow Jesus. Like, hey, this guy, Jesus, should we go follow him? And one says back to the other, are you talking about Jesus of Nazareth? And he literally says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like that place? That makes no sense. Why would we follow this guy? It would be like this, like Jesus from Ohio. Can anything good <laughs> come from Ohio? But the message of Christmas is this. The message of Christmas is this, that I don't know where you came from. I don't know what your upbringing was. I don't know how small it might've been. I don't know how, how obscure or how much attention wasn't put on it. But we know this, the message is you can have hope because if the savior of the world can come from Nazareth, God can do something in your life. Are you with me today? It's not where you come from or where you've been that determines where you're going. People say to me all the time, pastor, how do I get a platform? I need a platform. If I could just get a platform, then I could reach people. How do you think I can up my influence and, and get an audience and do all this kind of stuff? And I'm like, none of that matters. It's better to be anointed by God than advertised by man. Look at most of the stories in scripture, Noah. It's like, hey, God's like, hey, I'm going to call you to save these people. And uh, I'm going to choose you to do it. And Noah's like, okay, um, sounds awesome. God, like, what's my platform? And he's like, oh, well, you got to build a boat because it's going to rain. He's like, I don't know what either of those are. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Makes no sense. But God does his best work when it doesn't make sense. Think about Joseph. Hey, you're called. You're a dreamer. You're going to lead. You're going to be over people. Yeah, but before that, your brothers are going to jump you. They're going to fake your death. They're going to sell you off. There's going to be all these things that you have to go through. You might not like the platform because it's not going to make sense, but eventually it gets you to where you need to be. Think about the wilderness. People of Israel, why do we got to go through the wilderness? This doesn't make any sense, but it's there that they saw the miraculous of God. Think about the Red Sea. They're running from their enemy. And, and God has done so much for them already and they're escaping and the enemy's closing out on them and they finally get to the Red Sea. And they're like, God, all of this time, you did all of this to just take us to a dead end? There's the sea in front of us. We're not gonna get anywhere. God, this doesn't make any sense. What they didn't see was the Red Sea wasn't their dead end. It was the enemy's end. Yeah. And he parts it open for them and he does the miraculous because when it makes no sense, think about David, the shepherd boy. He shows up, the scripture says that his job was to just take some bread and cheese down to his brothers who were in battle. They're down there, soldiers, they're fighting. He's like, hey, first pizza delivery boy, go, go down there, hungry Howie, bring him something. <laughs> scripture says that they get down there, get down there, and they look around, and David's going, this doesn't make any sense. This guy is defying the armies of God, and nobody's doing anything about it. This makes no sense. Me, the slingshot guy, the BB gun shooting guy, I'm the one who's going to step in and do this. And it didn't make any sense, but God does his best work when it makes no sense. Hope should be rising in you knowing that when it doesn't make any sense, God can still make a way today. Are you with me? I thought about it like this. It's better to be marked by God than marketed by man. doesn't matter how small it is and how insignificant it may seem to be. If God's marked you and he's moving and he's working in you, it does so much more than being marketed by man. There's no place that makes no more sense than Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem makes no sense to the natural eye to, to debut God here. As a matter of fact, even Micah talks about how Bethlehem is nothing. Micah chapter five, verse two says, but you Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient days. Bethlehem makes no sense, but we can have great hope because it actually makes perfect sense because Bethlehem means house of bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Another amazing thing that we see about Bethlehem is Jesus had to come from the lineage of David and David was from Bethlehem. And so what was amazing about David's story is David showed up and saved his people, his people. The second David, Jesus shows up through Bethlehem and saves all the people. The symbolism in Bethlehem and Jesus coming through Bethlehem is like mind-blowing. And I could go on and on about all of it and the prophecies around it. But I'm just here to say the small little town of Bethlehem was actually the perfect place for God to make great sense when it made no sense. Are you with me? Timing and location was perfect. Timing really matters. I think it's something that we, we need to know that God's timing really matters. I heard this story of this woman who was helping take care of her mom. And she was constantly taking care of her mom, never did anything for herself. And so her husband saw how just year after year she's taking care of her mom. And so he says, hey, listen, it's important that you do something for yourself. And I'm not just talking about a day or, you know, go get your nails done. You, you need a holiday. You need to go take a vacation. Go plan a dream vacation and I'll take care of my mother-in-law. You go ahead and take this trip. And so she finally books this trip. And timing matters. She books this trip to uh, a, a visit of London, Paris, Rome, and Vienna. So she gets to her first destination in London, and she calls her husband. She's like, hey, how's everything going back home? And he goes, actually, um, not that great. The cat died. And she's like, the cat died? Why would you tell me that on the first call? I have the rest of the trip. I'm going to be so sad for the rest of this trip. You told me that the cat died. He said, well, what would you have me do? He said, well, she said, well, you should have just sort of put it off until the end. And I was almost home before I found out the cat died. So when I was in London, you should have said the cat's on the roof. And then when I'm in Paris, you should have said, oh, honey, the cat fell off the roof. And then when I got to Rome, you should have said, the cat's not doing very good. And then on the last day before I'm coming home in Vienna, you could have said, well, the cat died. And he's like, you're, you're right, you're right. I, I didn't think that through. I'm, I'm sorry I messed that up. She said, it's okay, I forgive you. How's mom? He said, mom's on the roof. Because <laughs> timing is important, it matters. Timing of how you do things. And Jesus knew that. I'll close with this. <laughs> I thought it was a funny joke and it belongs in church. Because cat and mother-in-law jokes are funny. So Mary, if you're Mary, <laughs> Mary, I have to do made-up jokes because if I freestyle it, I get in trouble. Remember last week? Oh, you weren't here. Second service last week was, was, the, red, was the red line. <laughs> so again, let's go back to Mary. This makes no sense. All this story, none of it makes sense, but we can find hope in it because Jesus does his, God does his best work through stuff that doesn't make sense. The whole Christmas story is, uh, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't going to work. I can't have hope. This isn't going to make sense. And God's like, I do my best work when it doesn't make sense. The people I choose, the towns I use, the locate, all these things, they don't make sense, but I'm going to make it work. So think about Mary. She's got to be going in her mind. This doesn't seem like the right time. 
this doesn't seem like the right time. I'm a 15-year-old virgin. I'm engaged. I'm looking at all of the different things that are happening. I'm being run out of my hometown because of uh, this this survey that's being done, the census that's taking place. None of this makes any sense. This has got to be the wrong time. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, 4 and 5 in the New Living Translation talks about this. It says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. This made no sense, makes no time. This timing seems all wrong. And then heaven was like, no, it was the perfect time because God's timing is always perfect. I don't know what sense it makes. I don't know what struggle you're going through and you're going like, this timing is so wrong. I got this happening, that happening, this happening. God's timing is always perfect. One passage says it this way. It says, but when the set time came, or one translation says, but when the perfect time came. One of the ways that we can have hope when it makes no sense is just to know that God's timing is always perfect. But God, I wish it was here. God, I wish it was here. I wish it was back there. We can trust and have hope in the fact that like, no, God, your time is perfect. Your set time is the right time. Politically, Jesus coming to earth when he did made way more sense than most people would have even thought of. This was during the Roman Empire. They were in power and they had great power worldwide. They were persecuting anyone who would not call Caesar God, but they had one little clause. They were sympathetic toward Jews. And they thought early Christianity was just another sect of Judaism. So they laid off the early Christians, the spreading of the gospel. And so because of the protection, the unknown protection of the Roman Empire, the gospel spread way faster than anything else could have spread. It was great timing by God. Also culturally, Alexander the Great had just conquered the world. He's also rolling out Greek, which has been spreading all throughout the world. Reading and writing has now begun to spread faster than any time in human history, and therefore, so did the gospel message. It was really great timing. That's why Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says this, you see at just the right time, because God works at just the right time, when we were still powerless, or when it didn't make any sense, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all of that. When it makes no sense, when we can't figure it out, when the people seem wrong, the place seems wrong, the timing seems wrong, God comes in at what? Just the right time. And he did it when he appeared here on earth as the hope of the world, and he did it on the cross for us as our savior. When all of it was wrong, when we were all wrong, God said, I'll make it all right. His timing is always perfect. So you should be able today look at wrong people, wrong place, wrong timing, wrong everything, and see that God works when it makes no sense. I hope that you leave here knowing today, but no, you understand this isn't making sense in my family. This doesn't make sense in my money. This doesn't make sense in my career. When all of it doesn't make sense, if we surrender it to God, he can make it all right. Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you love us and that you lead us. God, I thank you that this room represents a lot of different people and a lot of different stories. And many of them probably have places in them that don't make sense. But God, we 
love you and we know you and we trust you as the one. When things don't look right, you make them right. You're our way maker, our miracle worker. And so God, I ask that you just begin to do that in every person's life. Lord, help us trust your timing, that your timing is perfect. And God, you also said that we could use our words. You gave us the authority to be able to speak to things that are setting themselves up against us. And we can speak to the mountains and tell them to be removed. So God, I pray against anything that's setting itself up against your people. That's trying to hinder your people from walking in what you have for them. God, I pray that you remove those. You cast them down. God, I pray that you give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear what you would have us do. Let us be like Mary who say, how shall it be? I believe it will be. How shall it be? I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.